Hey, Sarah here. Summer is fast approaching, and here's what I propose. A relaxed and simple summer that offers just enough structure to keep those long, sticky days from melting into chaos, and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. Also, fairy tales. Lots of fairy tales. (laughs) I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer, and I would love for you to join me. Save your free seat at the workshop by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. See you there. Episode 25. You're listening to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. This is the podcast that inspires you to build your family culture around books. This is the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. Today is Q&A day. The last time we did a Q&A was episode 18. Everybody loved it. And my assistant, Allison, and I had a lot of fun putting it together for you. So we're doing it again. We've pulled the most frequently asked questions from the Read Aloud Revival Facebook group, the membership site, and our contact form, and we're tackling them here. Allison's got a good Read Aloud culture happening in her home, so I just love chatting with her about books and reading. First, let me remind you that I send weekly emails every Friday to folks with tips and tricks and my very favorite Read Aloud book recommendations. I've heard from so many of you that you look forward to that email, and I really love sending it. Don't get yours yet. You can sign up by heading to readaloudrevival.com and clicking on Join the Revival. You'll get a weekly email from me and access to the free Jumpstart Challenge, a kick in the pants for your Read Aloud home. Basically, it's a 100-day read every day for at least five minutes challenge that will help you get a jumpstart on your Read Aloud habit. Again, that's readaloudrevival.com and click on Join the Revival to get it all for free. I admit the very best part of today's podcast is Posey's outro at the very end. I mean, really. Just listen in to the end and you'll see what I mean. Give a three-year-old a microphone and, well, I should have expected it. Anyway, you ready for today's Q&A? Awesome. Let's get started. So, Allison, thank you for coming back onto the show. It's so much fun to have you here. Well, thanks for having me again. I was excited to join you again. Well, we have seen quite a lot of similar type questions on the Read Aloud Revival Facebook group and in our contact form and in the membership site. And so we thought we could tackle some of those today. Do you want to jump in with some of those? I would love to. Some of these are questions that I have myself, so I can't wait to hear how you're going to answer them. So question number one, Sarah, what types of books should moms be reading to cultivate their own appetites? And I know that a lot of people are going to want to hear what you have to say. You've written about this a lot in your blog. So kind of give us an idea of do these need to be books that are kind of stretching our brain and making us do mental exercises or are we cultivating our appetites with easier fiction or how do you approach that? Well, I think there's a place for all of that, actually. My favorite place to write about this is not just on my blog, but in Flourish, which is my bi-monthly e-magazine. And um, we can maybe put a link to that in the show notes. It's free and I send it out by email. And I love to put in there some of my most recent favorite reads or the things that have helped me grow or cultivate my own appetite, uh, my own intellect and all of that. 
One of the things Brandy Vensel at Afterthoughts has taught me is a Charlotte Mason principle, which is basically to have three books going all at the same time. And Charlotte Mason called that mother culture. And she would say, have something hard that challenges you. Have something medium, you know, that's, <laughs> that's not like brainless, but, you know, it takes some thought, but it's not like Aristotle or something. And then have something easy, not necessarily just fluff, but something that doesn't, doesn't take as much brain power. And then you can just pick up whichever book you feel most fit for. And actually, Brandy has a post on that and a post on another take on the same idea, which is to have three books going, but maybe three books that feed into the different parts of your life. So hmm. say fiction. And then I like to read, because I'm a homeschooling mom, I like to read books on education. And so I will try to have one book relating to fiction or one book of fiction, one book relating to education, and then a book relating to my spiritual life. And so I like to kind of divide books that way. And then I can pick up whatever, you know, feels the most right to read at any given moment. So that's the way I like to do it. Now, I get my book recommendations from a few places that I think are pretty reliable. Oftentimes on the podcast, we recommend Honey for a Child's Heart by Gladys Hunt. Mm-hmm. She's also written a book called Honey for a Woman's Heart. I, hey, admit, I have not read that. Okay. I have it on my shelf and I will admit I haven't dug into it a whole lot, but yeah. I am very happy with her other two books, the Honey for a Child's Heart and Honey for a Teen's Heart. So I have a feeling it would be a good, reliable place to go for book recommendations. I like to go to Susan Wise Bauer's The Well-Educated Mind for my hard reading, <laughs> but okay. I will emphasize that is hard reading. <laughs> um, she has you reading all kinds of classics, novels and biographies and all kinds of things. And they're very well chosen. And she even recommends which version is. Oh, yeah, that's really helpful because, you know, a version can make a big difference. I remember. Well, when as, I tried, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, especially with the classics, because you know, I'm just thinking I've read some Russian literature before, and I think the translation has made all the difference in the world of whether it's beautiful language or it's incomprehensible. So exactly. I tried yeah. to read Kristen Lavern's daughter in a really archaic kind of language. It was really brutal. And I kept hearing all these people say they loved it. And I thought, what yeah. is wrong with me? And it turns out that it was completely, I was reading the very much harder translation. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Or Lesson annotations, learned. you know, those can be really yeah. helpful. And so She's got some good reliable recommendations in there. There's also okay. a book or a website called The Well-Read Mom. And they oh, I- are kind of a book club group where you can use their resources to create your own book club in your area. And they have good book recommendations on there as well. And then my favorite, probably my favorite go-to site to find good books to read is Ann Bogle's Modern Mrs. Darcy. We have slightly different reading tastes, but for the most part, I can go to her site and find something awesome to read. I mean, she just reads like nobody I've ever met. <laughs> she can recommend things so well because she's so well read. What I don't do is I don't just go to the library or the bookstore and just grab something off the shelf for the most part, mostly because my reading time is limited. And so I want to make sure that what I'm reading is something that is going to either nourish my mind or at least give me some like relaxation and peace. And I just don't want to waste my time on junk. I am the kind of personality that has no problem ditching a book if I'm not enjoying it. But are you like that or do you have to read the whole thing? Oh, I don't have to read the whole thing. But more than ditching things, I'm a skimmer. And so if I, except for fiction, I don't skim fiction. And if I don't love fiction, I'll definitely ditch it. But if it's nonfiction, something that's making my brain work really hard, which I always say makes my brain hurt, which is a good category, like good anaerobic exercise for my brain, 
then I can skim it and I don't need to read it for every single word, which is a discussion my husband and I have a 500 page book on a biography of a person that he's read six biographies about. And I look at him reading the same book night after night and I say, babe, why don't you just skim it? You already have the entire biography of George Washington memorized. Why are you possibly, no, he has to go through page by page. And that kind of thing drives me nuts. Oh, that's so I funny. Would just, <laughs> just different reading styles. But yeah, I would totally skim it. But I don't, I feel like I have enough acumen in selecting books now in general, especially fiction books that I feel like I don't get many duds like I used to. So it's not as big of an issue. I mean, I just feel like I've grown in that area. And I would not be somebody who has any problem about ditching something. No question about that. Yeah, I always um, feel bad for people who say they can't ditch a book because that's so yeah. much pressure before you start a book if you can't yeah. ditch it. You have, you have to commit to it. I know. And then, right, there's such limited time in general. Well, speaking of limited time, it? actually, that's, I think the harder thing rather than, even harder than choosing a good book is finding time to read. And that's mm-hmm. a question we get a lot, which is how do you find time to read? For me, I know that things that are scheduled are the only things that get done. So reading is a priority for me. And if I don't make a space for it on my day, it just doesn't happen because there's always other urgent things like dishes and laundry and crying toddlers that have to happen. <laughs> and so I used to read before bed, but mm-hmm. six kids later, I'm falling asleep <laughs> when I go to bed. <laughs> anyway, yes. I love the idea of reading during my kids' quiet reading hour. I will mm-hmm. say I'm not that good at actually practicing it. It's something I need to grow in for sure. But I love the idea of us all grabbing our books and going somewhere quiet to read for a little bit instead of them going to their books and me trying to clean up the kitchen and check my email. Well, you know what? I have just started doing that. And I don't know if it was, I read it on Ann Bogle's website or who it was, but I just, what we call couch reading time where they have to go with a timer on the couch and kind of do a chapter reading book in the middle of our morning homeschool time. And so everybody will be on the couch at different times. And I finally realized if they're having 20 minutes of delightful chapter reading, why can't I do it? And so I did it a couple times or a few times over the last couple of weeks. And the child who I happened to land on the couch with loved it. They were snuggling up and they thought it was just this new magical one-on-one time. I thought, ah, you know, if I don't have a grammar lesson or something else going on, I should totally take advantage of that because 20 minutes with a book uninterrupted is a lot of progress. And I was going to ask you, I know some people have recommended that you read fiction at night. It kind of a different, you know, when your brain is winding down, it's not super high intellect time. Mm-hmm. Have you found, does that kind of help you stay awake at all? Or is it just you're totally wiped out in the pre-bed reading time is just gotten from your schedule altogether? Well, you know, what's funny. I think I'm weird, though, because okay. I don't know if this is standard. But I read fiction at night because it helps me fall asleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I start reading nonfiction at night, it ramps my brain up. Because I think it's because I'm my intellectual wheels start spinning or my planning or, you know, whatever it is I'm reading, I tend to just ramp up. And so I don't usually let myself read. My husband used to not let me read any homeschooling books <sighs> at all before bed because he's like, you stay up half the night planning. Uh, <laughs> it's terrible. Uh, <laughs> or at least think dreaming and scheming. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. I think that you've given me a lot to think about there. So question number two. Mm-hmm about creating your own book list. So I know that you and I have actually said this to each other already. And I know other people have the same question of how could you recommend such and such a book? We read that and we hated it or that our, my family, like my children were terrified or everyone was bored senseless or whatever, you know, that kind of thing comes up. I thought I was hoping you could talk a little bit about why no two families are ever going to have the same book list. <laughs> yes. Something that comes up all the time. And, you know, we don't all like the same food either. So it's kind of funny that we expect ourselves to all love the same books. Here's the thing. I let my kids read 
the Magic Tree House and Harry Potter and a whole host of things that other families might not deem fit for their families. But I think it's really important as parents to choose books based on our own conscience. And so that can be a little tricky. And also, it's just our tastes are different. So it comes to mind, are you, you're the one, Allison, right, whose family really enjoyed Lemony Snicket? Yes. And I was going to bring that up. I mean, you and I kind of got into a scuffle about that. <laughs> a, a very friendly scuffle. Friendly but scuffle. You were, yeah, because you were saying that because Andrew Pudua talks about how he waited with those with bated breath. And you were saying, oh, my family, we totally hated it. And I thought, oh, my goodness, we are Lemony Snicket addicts. We, I was just totally entranced with all 13 books. So yeah, just to clear, but we have so many other books that we love in common. So, but it's just a a family thing, obviously. Well, it's so funny. Pam Barnhill is one of my very best friends. We probably share taste in just a million different things. But for a while there, we had a Pinterest board going (laughs) that was called Books Pam Hates That Sarah Loves or the opposite (laughs) because we kept talking about books and we'd find that we had the exact opposite reaction to them. So it was kind of funny. Interesting. I, I think... This is where a few trusted book sources comes in handy because I don't know that any of those trusted book sources I've talked about, Honey for Child's Heart or Books Children Love, for example, Uh I don't know that I would love every single book that's in there, but I think we train ourselves to be able to choose good books and recognize kind of the elements of good books when we use reliable book sources like that. And then we can all deviate just slightly. You know, there'll be a couple books here, a couple books there that either I love that I can't believe these authors didn't put on their book list or Mm -hmm. that I can't believe they put on their book list. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So um, I think that's just to be expected. And, you know, one of those important things that we don't want to abdicate our responsibility as parents to provide books for our family that we believe nourish them. One of the things I think could really help is that Adam Andrews created a workshop in the Read Aloud Revival membership on how to build a perfect reading list. Mm -hmm. And his principles and practical helps, I think, are really helpful in just helping a family figure out the best and right reading list for themselves. Okay. Well, that's something to check out on the membership site. Hey, this reminds me, this discussion reminds me, have you read I Capture the Castle? Yes. Dodie Smith, right? Yes. So, okay. In one sentence, you loved it or you hated it? I land somewhere in the middle. (laughs) Okay. So I bought, this is a perfect example. Ann Bogle recommended it and I, everyone was just wildly raving about it and it seemed like it was cropping up everywhere. I immediately bought it. I read the first chapter and I threw it away. I didn't even take it to the recycling, you know, the bookstore where you, I thought, this is hideous. This is trash. I can't even stand this. And then I thought, wow, this is so interesting. So talk about ditching. I ditched that thing after I just dropped nine bucks on it and then I threw it in the trash. I thought that it was so terrible. But so many other people who I like and respect read it and liked it. And I thought, I'm, I'm missing something there, but you fall in the middle because I so many middle, other- I liked it. I didn't love it. I remember picking it up because Melissa Wiley um, oh, mentioned it. Okay. And she's another awesome resource for books for moms too. No, I don't think she has any, I could be wrong about that. I don't think she has any complete lists or anything on her site, but she'll just drop titles of, that she's reading. And she's okay. a voracious reader. So she's a wonderful resource. Yes. But she recommended that book years ago. And maybe it's because the conversation around that post that she recommended it, the women were just raving about it. So I had kind of high expectations for it, but I enjoyed it. I read the whole thing, which means I enjoyed it because I didn't, I didn't ditch it. But you know, it's funny. I raved about Alice Ozma's The Reading Promise and I still do. I still think it's the best book I read last year. And I know that some of our listeners to the podcast were not, they just didn't know why I raved so much about it. And that happens with every book that I rave about. So I think it's just one of those things that's, you know, we all have just a little bit different taste. And so yeah, it's like kind well, of a developing thing to just have confidence in your own, you know, right. ability to read a book. So 
I always want to give that caveat when people ask me for book recommendations. (laughs) Right. And at the end of the day, it's not a personal attack on somebody else if you don't like their favorite book. Of course. So yeah, we can all still be friends. Even if I'm still, I'm not quite sure. You threw it in the trash? Really? (laughs) I I threw it in the trash. I thought, well, I could have offered that up to free, but no, you know what? I should not recycle this or this book is not worth recycling. So I apologize to all the I Capture the Capsule fans out there. Just not a fan. Let's move on to question number three. So we have a lot of listeners to the podcast and in the membership site who talk about how they're new to this concept of the Read Aloud Revival, and they just don't know how to get their young kids to sit still for Read Aloud time. They, a lot of moms will say, you know, my kids seem uninterested. They're so fidgety. They keep whining. They'd rather wander out of the room, find their Legos, do something else. So what are some, you know, maybe top two or three tips for brand new read aloud families, people who are trying to make this a priority, but they're struggling to get it off the ground? Hmm. Well, I'm not new to reading aloud and my kids fidget and wander out of the room. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think it depends on their age. It actually depends on a whole host of things. Sometimes I wish I could videotape our read aloud times because I think if everybody saw them, they would feel so much better about their own. <laughs> my friend Misty, she, she said this the other day. We were talking about morning time, actually. We were talking about reading and memory work and morning time in our homeschools. And she said, you know, it would be so helpful if people could see her toddler thrashing around on the floor during morning time so that they could see that that's okay. That's what it looks like in reality. <laughs> I know. Well, yes. But really, that's what it's like in family life in general. It's not all roses and rainbows. I mean, family life is beautiful and read aloud is beautiful in concept. And in principle, it's hard to work it out sometimes. But that doesn't detract from the beauty of it because right. there's beauty that comes from the struggle. So I agree. So I would love to have a video camera in your living room, but since we can't have that, what kind of tips can you give someone who's feeling discouraged by the whining and the Legos? They don't realize that that's might just be part of it. Okay. Well, the first thing I would say is absolutely let your kids have stuff in their hands. Let them do something with their hands. We're working on a printed resource in the membership site that lists some ideas of what your kids can do with their hands based on their age from toddlers to teens. What are some things that they can be working on while you're reading? For a lot of kids, maybe, I don't know, it might be a stretch to say nearly all of them, but for a lot of kids, doing stuff with their hands will mean that they listen better, not worse. And so it's really helpful if you could have a stash, a cupboard maybe, or a shelf, or even just a little box that you can pull out that has everybody's activities. So you pull it out during read aloud time and the child who knows how to crochet, crochet, you pull that out for him. There's, you know, packets of Play-Doh for the preschoolers, Legos for the, you know, middle grader kids. I mean, whatever your kids like to do. It's good to spend a little bit of time and forethought, I think, to think ahead of what they could be doing with their hands and then put those in an easy to grab spot. We did better with that when I had a shelf dedicated in our old house. I had a shelf dedicated to read aloud activities. So when it was time to read aloud, I'd say, go to the shelf and grab your thing, whatever it is your thing is going to be. And I haven't set that up in this new house. I need to do that. Hmm, yes, I, and I know that, do that. Well, you're, but you're also using popsicles for your toddlers, right? I think you yes. just write, wrote about that the other day. I did. Yes. Which I thought was brilliant because you've trapped them in their high chair and it takes a good while to suck on a popsicle. Oh, so. It takes a million years for a toddler to eat a popsicle. It's so, I, when, I, when I thought of it, I thought, I am so brilliant. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the um, small the victories. Thing, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think, you know, we all have a different tolerance for how much noise or movement can be happening during read aloud. But 
If you can handle it, you know, and you have one or two kids jumping on a trampoline. I mean, in my house, handstands are allowed. I can handle quite a bit of chaos happening around me. But as the read aloud parent, I think you just have to kind of decide how much noise or activity you can handle and then build activities around that. So that would be probably my number one, two and three tip. (laughs) My biggest tip is just give them something to do. Okay. So let me ask you a follow-up question to that then. So when you say every parent has a different tolerance for amount of activity and noise, that's true. So do you allow chatting, little side chats of, hey, you know, hand me such and such, and I'm going to hum this little tune while I'm jumping on the trampoline or whatever, or is it, are lips shut while they're doing their activity? Is it, so how do you, other than the toddlers, obviously the toddlers, you can't control necessarily if they're going to talk, but you know, elementary age and up. What's your rule on talking and if it's not a question? I don't really mind it until it bothers me. Isn't that nice and clear and helpful? (laughs) (laughs) So if if we're sitting at the table and everyone's coloring, say with markers or colored pencils, and they're, hey, can I grab the red? That doesn't bother me whatsoever. You know, can I borrow that one? That doesn't bother me. If it's like, get your feet off me, you're kicking me because they're on the couch and they're, you know, fighting over cushions. That will drive me crazy. So that's a completely unclear answer, but you have to be inside my brain to know to know what my tolerance level is. Well, and every again, every mom can decide what works for her. I think that would me personally, I wouldn't if someone said, Hey, can I have the red marker? I mean, they would get the stink eye from me big time. I would not even remotely allow that. that. I just want all silence except for the two year old. She can, you know, I can't control her little jibber jabbers, but Everybody else has to be completely silent unless it's a relevant question. But that's because it's very jarring to me to be interrupted. So, but other people like you have a greater tolerance for that. So, okay. So that's your top one, two, and three tips. Let them have something to do. Yep. Okay. Excellent. And then the other thing I wrote down is for possibly two things to think about for a newbie, read a lot of family is explore the whole realm of audiobooks. But somehow it seems like that might be a there's more flexibility in that if the kid has it in their room and they can be racing around on the floor doing all their stuff, but they're still getting, Mm -hmm. yeah, they're starting to grow in their ability to listen to the longer chapters like you just talked about in your most recent podcast, number 24. So audiobooks is just a very gentle introduction, I think. And I know we have that whole great interview with Misty Winkler about that. And then the second thing I thought of was maybe picking a topic they like. I mean, so if they're super into, you know, outer space or spaceships or the civil war or something like that. Maybe start off, try to start off a book if, you know, if a couple other titles have failed. So those are just two added things. That yeah, that's a really good idea. And actually that Honey for a Child's Heart, she divides books based on fantasy or historical fiction or for kids that love animals, that kind of thing. So that can be a really good place to start if you don't know where to start and you're brand new to reading aloud and you think, I just, I don't even know how to capture their interest. Yep. You know, my oldest daughter is really into historical fiction. So she's going to be much more excited about a historical fiction book that we've picked up than she will about fantasy. Now, we do stretch outside that. But when you're just getting started, I would go with something that's going to be an easy fit. Easy win. Okay. Well, great advice. We'll get back to the show in just a minute. At the beginning of today's episode, I mentioned that what I propose for this summer is a relaxed and simple plan that offers just enough structure to keep your days from melting into chaos and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. And what summer wouldn't be much, much better with a whole bunch of fairy tales? Well, I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer 
and here's what we're going to talk about. First, how reading fairy tales can make your summer easier. Yes, easier. We want to take things off your plate this summer, not put more on, right? <laughs> fairy tales can make your summer easier and more fun. I'm also going to share the fairy tales I recommend for every age and the tippy top thing you can do to make sure your kids make delightful memories this summer. It is way less work and way less pressure than you think. The free workshop is happening live online on May 7th, 2024, and you can save your free seat by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. And yes, there's a replay, so make sure you register even if you can't join us live on May 7th. Again, text the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. Next question. How do you prioritize reading aloud when you don't homeschool? Yeah, that's a great question. That's a question we're getting a ton in the Facebook community, which by the way, I should just shout out that if you are on Facebook and you're interested, we have a private Facebook community that is really grown into something awesome. I don't really participate in a lot of Facebook groups, but that's what I've been checking into all the time because we're having a lot of really good conversations there. And man, there are a lot of great book recommendations happening there and troubleshooting where people say, hey, this is my situation. And 30 people will come in with some different ideas of how to troubleshoot it. So it's really awesome. Yes. So one of the things we hear a lot there is, what does this look like in a family that's not homeschooling? And we're going to be doing a whole podcast episode on this in the fall, because really family culture is family culture no matter where your kids go to school. Mm -hmm. So I really think, you know, you can build your family culture around books, no matter what. And we can use some of the similar principles. So one of the principles we talk about here at the Read Aloud Revival is pegging your read aloud times to things that are already happening every day. Meal times, you know, reading aloud during lunch or breakfast or just doing it at the same time, hooked to an activity that's already going to happen. So you know, people are going to eat. So if you peg your read aloud time to that, then you probably are going to read. And that can happen with a family that goes to school. Just do it with a mealtime that you're all together. You know, breakfast might be kind of a trick. If you're trying to get kids out the door, that would be hard for me anyway. Mm -hmm. But dinner or right after dinner, or I would just be really creative reading aloud with some kids while you're waiting outside the sports activities of other Mm -hmm. kids, doing a lot of reading aloud on the weekends, even if you can't fit it in a ton during the week or reading aloud shorter periods of time, you know, 10 minutes, not feeling like you have to do some 30 minute read aloud session, but just 10 minutes before bed or 10 minutes right when they get home from school or whatever your family life looks like, fitting it in and making it a priority. And the easiest way I know how to do that is to peg it to something that's already happening. So, Well, that's a great idea. So you mentioned something that about if you're, for example, stuck outside soccer practice and Mm -hmm. you've got two kids in the car and two kids on the field. And so possibly reading to the two kids in the car or something else. So do you ever do that in terms of not having all children present who are into the story, who are engaged in this story? I just know that would be a heresy in my family if, (laughs) you know, one child was off with dad doing something and that the rest of the family read the book without him. I can't even imagine how much horror that would be. So are you you advocating that? (laughs) Well, I wouldn't do it. I have done that. But I, I wouldn't do a book that we were all reading together and then I continue to read it without a child present. I okay. would do a different one and probably short stories, something like okay. 
I like to recommend the James Harriet book, Animal yes. Stories or Thornton Burgess or Winnie the Pooh would be a good one because they're all, they're kind of an episodic type story where you can just get one little, you know, you don't have to read it sequentially necessarily. Or my 11 and nine year old love fantasy and my 13 year old, not so much. So I could definitely see if she was at youth group or something reading a fantasy book to them and her not missing, you know, feeling left out at all. But I would, I wouldn't start, let's say the green number with everybody and then read it when one child was gone. Cause that, yeah, I could, that would be heresy. I think. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. That's breaking all the family culture rules on the read aloud revival. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. If, if, am I remembering right that Melissa Wiley talked about that with some of her kids? So she would like after lunch or something, she would kind of go into one kid's bedroom oh, and I then forgot about that. Of, yeah. She yeah, would go in have one and that would be the, her one-on-one time with yes, them. Which sounded beautiful and lovely and you could snuggle up on their bed and everything. But I thought, man, you've got to be, she would have her fingers in lots of different books, but yeah. if that's what worked for her, that's what worked for her. But yeah, I could see my kids really loving that, but just being a, I mean, my 13 year old would probably love it if I could sit and read Jane Eyre with her and my other kids are not <laughs> interested in that yet at all. Right. You know, the thing I think I would focus on if I was reading to kids that were in school is just in delighting in books together because the kids would probably already be doing things like book reports and literary analysis of some kind at school. And I wouldn't want that to be an extension of school. So I would focus on making it a really wonderfully delightful, formative and nourishing time, picking maybe a childhood favorite or something fun like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or something. And, um, you know, pop some popcorn and read 10 minutes a day or something. Just really focus on making it fun and delightful. Okay, question number five. What about those people who have older kids? So let's say preteen and teens, and you have yourself a couple of those who seem totally bored by the concept of reading aloud. Wait, and, I have and, some of those. <laughs> <laughs> you have a preteen and you've got two pre Well, yeah, I do. It's scary. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Sorry to welcome to the real world, but yeah. you do have a teenager now. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. So who are seem bored by the concept of reading aloud. And, you know, some I know some parents have said in the Facebook community and elsewhere that, you know, I, I know we should have started this habit earlier. Is it too late, essentially, to establish this when they're already in their Can that tweener or the teenage? Well, I don't, it's never too late. I mean, it's never too late. And I think it's always helpful to look forward more than we're looking back when it comes to our parenting. I've just noticed as a mom, I feel that way all the time with my oldest. There's so many things I feel that way. You know, I could have read them more Bible stories or I could have, oh my goodness. I can only imagine it gets stronger as the kids get older that we sort of feel like we missed an important step or an important thing that we really missed the boat on which really isn't that helpful. No, (laughs) all the guilt sort of hanging over your head all day long. Yeah, it's not helpful. It's not helpful. It doesn't help you be a better parent. So it's never too late. I would pick something. If you have, let's say a preteen or a teenager and you haven't been reading aloud and you want to start forming your family culture around books. And I mean, think about it. You still probably have at least a year. A year is enough really to start just really nourishing yourselves with books and talking about them and making a part of your family culture. So even if you have, you know, a 17-year-old or an 18-year-old who's still at home, it's never really too late. But I would pick something wonderful and not at all schoolish. Something like Lord of the Rings or, oh my goodness, some of my favorite books for teens are Regina Doman has a whole series of fairy tales retold. Oh. Um, one of them is In the Shadow of the Bear. And there's a whole bunch of others. Although I just brought home In the Shadow of the Bear for a homeschool conference <laughs> for my daughter. 
But I read it a couple of years ago. I read her whole series voraciously. It's wonderfully done. And something like that would just be enjoyable. The Hunger Games. I mean, something just completely that will not feel like, oh, my mom is trying to, you know, improve me with this literary Mm. kind of thing. Just okay. I would focus on the relationship aspect of it. And Julie Bogart in episode 23, when she was talking about sharing reading with teens, it looked different than I expected it to. She focused more on sharing the same books, like maybe reading the same book as your teen and then talking about it rather than always reading it aloud together, which is an important distinction. Although, and I also think another thing you could do with teens or preteens who haven't been read too much is audiobooks, just like you had mentioned before. Because mm-hmm. honestly, it doesn't matter how old you are. Cherry Jones's narration of the Little House books, they're going to captivate everybody in the car I, <laughs> or everybody I, in the room. You know, totally Put on Farmer agree. Boy and just see what happens. Yes. Well, another thing that Julie said from episode 23 was that sometimes it's better to encounter some of these great books when you're older. And I thought that was so fascinating because she talked about some people who get burned out on Jane Austen and you know the way that their high school teacher made them do literary analysis or in college or whatever. But didn't she talk about how she encountered a lot of Jane Austen in her late 20s or early 30s or something? Yeah, I think it was and early it, 30s because I'm 33 30s. and I was thinking, I really haven't fallen down the Jane Austen rabbit hole yet. And I thought, oh. maybe I'm 33, maybe it's time. <laughs> it is. You're, we are way past due, my dear. <laughs> but yes, once you get down that rabbit hole, you, don't, you never need to come out again. It's so wonderful. So I thought, oh, that's something to file away that you don't have to fit in every single classic, you know, once you hit those teen years. And then the other thing, just to encourage parents who have teens, I just heard an interview of a professor, a college professor earlier this week, talking about something totally unrelated. But he talked about when they had, I think, three or four teens in the house, they realized that they hadn't made kind of family devotional kind of breakfast time a priority for them. They wanted to slow down. So starting when they had all these teens in the house, they had never done this for the whole childhood experience. They started, he and the wife got up early every single morning to make big breakfast, like pancakes, waffles, bacon, eggs, whatever. And then they read aloud together and they did a little family devotional. And he said, some, you know, one of the kids in the house, they only did it one year. Some of them they were able to do it two or three years before they graduated from high school. So he, all, he and his wife really regretted not starting that when they were younger, kind of prioritizing that time before they went off to school. But he said, now his kids are in their 20s and 30s and that marked their family culture. So he was just so grateful that even though they started it so late in the game and some of their kids only experienced it for a year, that's what they remember as one of the key features of their family life. And I thought, oh, that's so encouraging. You, that It's never really too late. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> it's never too late. It's never too late. Yeah. So. Wow. That is, yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Okay. So let's get to a more practical question here. How do you keep track of all these book lists and the recommendations? You get so many on the Read Aloud Revival. You've got some, you know, you meet friends, you've got your books, you've got your honey for the child heart, you're, you're at conferences, you're hearing books. Are they, is it one massive Word document? Is it on your phone? Are they random scraps of sticky notes, which would horrify <laughs> me if that was the case? How do you categorize them, either in your brain or on paper? Oh, it's so much worse than random scraps of sticky notes <laughs> Oh no! I am the wrong person to ask about documenting or organizing anything. Okay. I still want to know. Okay. Well, I'll tell you and then we'll ask you because you'll have a better answer than I will. I'm sure of it. I keep book lists in my kids' spiral notebooks that we use for their school assignments. I keep them on my phone in an app. I keep random notes in Evernote. I mean, it is horrible. I have a terrible system. We are going to be making some read aloud logs for the membership site, and we hope to get those up this summer where we could log them on paper. I have heard really good things from more organized folks than I (laughs) 
about Goodreads, using Goodreads to document. That's probably the mm-hmm. best idea I've heard of them all. I just haven't gotten around gotten around to doing it. But okay. what do you do? You're the person we should be asking this question, well, not me. Yeah. I mean, I have, my system has changed. And so something that's just super simple is that when I, when I, for example, when I listen to a podcast of yours and I think, oh, those are three books that I want to get, but it's not in the budget this month. So I just, a simple thing is I save things on my Amazon cart. This is just so basic. I'm sure everybody has it. And so I could have, you know, 150 things saved in there. And then as things pop up, as money as becomes available, I say, okay, I'm going to pick three things and then add it in and then I buy it that week or that month. And so that's just one very practical one. But I also have a one little system that triggers my brain is if I fall in love with a particular author, but I know I can't buy every single book that they've written right now, even though I would love to in a particular series, Mm -hmm. if I buy one, so for example, like Ralph Moody, I want to get all the Little Britches ones. Mm -hmm. We only have one right now. And I know eventually we want, I want my husband to read aloud all of those, but right now we only have one and that's a trigger for me on my bookshelf. Okay. Eventually I want to buy number two, three, four, and five and six and whatever in that series. So that helps me just as a visual without, I don't have to track that anywhere. I just know that's a key author. We want more of him. So he's going to be coming down the pike. But other than that, I do have a massive Word document, which is not everybody's cup of tea. And, <laughs> and, I've, and I've just gathered them from, I mean, I'll have good friends who I'll just say, hey, give me your book list. And then I'll just cut and paste it in there. And then I'll see, okay, I'll delete her. I delete that one because we already have that one. Or I know that's not our cup of tea. So, you know, there's probably thousands of titles in there. And I, I don't reference it super often, but I know that it's there. And if, if it makes its way into that list, at least I don't lose it someday. So it's not a super great system, but that's the best I'm doing right now. Okay. Well, that kind of reminds me a few years ago, I did do one thing that's going to blow you away since you know okay. me so well. <laughs> You're be like, where on earth did you come from when you did that project? So we like to read stories of the saints or other stories that go along with the, the church year. Okay. And so I went through all of our books that had collections of stories of the saints or Bible stories or any other kind of liturgical based reading. And I went through and made a document. So I have, I think maybe, I mean, I don't have a ton of them, but maybe five main anthologies of saints books and then some biographies. So for example, I would go through them and now I'm spacing some. Okay. October 1st is the feast of a certain, of St. Therese, the little flower. So I would go through all of our books and see which ones had stories of her. Okay. And then whatever ones did on my document under October, under October one, actually, I would write down all the different places we had stories on our shelf about that particular wow. saint. And I did that with all of our, I cataloged all of our liturgical reading. And that was my goal was that when we were doing morning time or other homeschooling kind of reading, I could look at the date. And if it was an important date, I could just see what we already had on our shelf that I could read about. Mm-hmm. So it was a brilliant idea. It's a beautiful document. We could link it in the show notes for any Catholics who might yeah. be interested in it. <laughs> but I don't use it very often because it's a little more organized than my brain yeah, tends that, to. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm having an out-of-body experience. I can't even believe that you had such a thing. That's so amazing. I'm so proud of you. Yeah. I'm, it's a I, will I don't use it more. It. Yeah, it is. But that's okay. So you're, we're kind of making a distinction here between books that we currently own and books that we'd like to own. Right. Yes. So that was yep. one thing I did on that document. I even yep. color coded them. So if it was a book that I knew I wanted for, say, Christmas or Easter, yep. I would highlight it in red and all the okay. other ones were just black text. And then I would know if it's black, it means I own it on my shelf. If it's red, it means when we have some extra funds, I should go back and purchase it. Okay. In theory, it's a great idea. I'm just not yep. necessarily that organized regularly. So I don't think I'm used to having such a thing work right. for me. Okay. Well, I've been, this is an FAQ I've had, and I thought I'll just pop it in here because you mentioned like the liturgical calendar. 
do you distinguish between, and so when we think of reading aloud, you know, every, I think in general, and this actually leads into my last question is, does read aloud time have to be only fiction? I think a lot of us have that vision of, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia, Lord of the Rings being read aloud. But what about nonfiction? What about devotional, catechism, liturgical, whatever, you know, the, the culture is in your family? Would you put that under the same umbrella as reading aloud? I would. So we have, we read a lot of nonfiction aloud, you know, history books like Story of the World or the Dallaire's biographies. Uh, We read our science text aloud. Actually, well, actually we listen to that on audio. So what I do is each term, I plan my read alouds kind of underneath those categories, like something with a good historical influence. I don't always work at a science influence, although sometimes I try to do that. Always something related to our faith. And then we're almost always, in addition to our nonfiction school reading, we're always reading some kind of fiction. Doesn't always, it's not always a classic. Sometimes it's just fun. But we're always reading something fiction alongside it. But I do in my head, I mean, I would count reading aloud our history book as our read aloud time that day if I needed to. That's okay. What about you? Well, I, you know, I wrestled with that for a long time. I'm such a category person. I think mentally I have to have everything that's on in its proper column in my brain. And for a long time, I thought, I don't even oh. think I have columns in my brain. <laughs> I have color-coded columns in my brain. So <laughs> you have your mind map. I have my columns. It's very different. And yours are not color-coded. For a long time, I thought, oh, no, we didn't do read aloud. Then I thought, well, wait a minute. If we were reading Shakespeare or if I was reading aloud, you know, a two-page fable for, you know, the grammar project for two of the girls today, that totally counts as reading aloud. But it took me a couple of years to realize that, okay, reading aloud is actually reading aloud. It is a verb. So I thought, I do not want to get legalistic about this and say, oh, no, we failed today. And because there comes along that sense of guilt. Because there's all different kinds of reading aloud. And especially as our, my kids who are younger, they're 10 and under. As we move forward into that junior high, high school time coming down the pike, when we have more nonfiction that they're going to be have to doing for their schoolwork, I thought, okay, if we're reading aloud more history at that time, it'll totally be included in our kind of our aggregate read aloud family time. But I think some people need to get over that hump of thinking it's not all, doesn't always have to be just this great fiction adventure, which is beautiful. Yeah. And I hope that there's a lot of that. But, you know, don't discount all the other types of reading you're doing aloud doing that, whether it's a family devotional or, you know, that took five minutes during Lent or something like that. That still counts. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we kind of latch onto that idea of fiction because it's that narrative element that really brings out the beautiful language that we want our kids to take in auditorily. But that's important, but it's not the only thing. And it's not the only thing that helps us build our family culture. So, right. Yeah, that's good. That's a good distinction. Yeah. Well, you know what, Sarah, you got through them all and you shocked me a few times. So I think this was fun. (laughs) (laughs) That was super fun. (laughs) Yes. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. Now it's time for Let the Kids Speak. This is my favorite part of the podcast, where kids tell us about their favorite stories that have been read aloud to them. Jonah, and I'm four. I like the story of Fardinand. Hello, my name's Juliana from Colorado, and I'm seven. I like the book Green Ember. My mom just finished reading it. I loved it, and it encouraged me to be brave and having adventures. Goodbye. Hi, my name's Jackson. I'm 14, and I'm from Colorado. My favorite read aloud that my family has recently read was Boundless by Kenneth Opal. I like the action-packed mystery that kept me waiting for the next chapter. Hello, my 
name is Adeline. I live in Bosnia. And what's your favorite book? Um, Minnie, Molly, Mandy. What do you like about the book? The big cabbage with the fat roots. <laughs> yes. And what's Millie Molly Mandy's full name? Amanda Margaret Amanda. My name is Elijah Irby, and I'm seven years old, and I live in Sarajevo, Bosnia. And my favorite book is Harry Potter. What I like about it is I can't put it down. Very good. Thank you so much, kids, for calling in. And remember that your kids can call in and leave a message for me. If you head to readaloudrevival.com and scroll to the bottom of the page, you'll see how. Remember that all of the notes for today's podcast, all those books and links and articles we mentioned during the show, they can be found in the show notes. So head to readaloudrevival.com. Look for episode 25. All right, Posey, take it away, my dear. Thanks for tuning in. This is Ben, Sarah, and Kenzie, and me. What do you like to say in the microphone? But. But? (laughs) (laughs) We say (laughs) boop. Seriously? That was a lot of jobs. That was a lot of jobs. Do I need to pay you for podcasting? Yes. Pay you with kisses? (laughs) That was a lot of kisses. Thank you.